0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd. Today, we're going to talk about lawsuits and about fighting back, pushing back, what are the actual processes that we can go towards to make sure we're, we're fighting back against policies that we feel are unconstitutional or infringing on personal liberties, especially when they don't have that evidence behind them to really back up these types of policies. And we are going to talk with a state assemblyman from Florida, who many of you might already be following or know about. His name is Anthony Sabatini. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Melissa. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
0: So why don't you let everybody know a little bit about your background? You're an attorney as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why don't you let people know kind of two things as an attorney, that background, but also what kind of led you into state level politics?
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, uh, my name is, as you mentioned, Anthony Sabatini. I'm a state representative, which is the equivalent of an assemblyman in California or in other states. But here they just call it a, a rep representative. And I represent the area right next to Orlando, which is District 32 in the Florida House of Representatives. It's the western suburbs of Orlando. It's a pretty conservative Republican district. And I would consider myself one of the most libertarian leaning Republican members of the state legislature, if not the most on pretty much all issues. And that's what kind of drew me to the medical freedom issues, because at the end of the day, they're civil liberties issues, and they're about personal autonomy, personal choice. And when we take people's personal choices away from them, we I think we really dehumanize them to an extent. And that's what drew me to that. But in politics in general, what drew me to it was just growing up in a family of small business owners and watching the government interfere and, and not be helpful, but actually to create more hurdles and And more nightmares for a lot of people who were trying to achieve the American dream. So that was my initial start in politics. And uh, I went to law school and decided I was going to run for office, became a city commissioner for a small town outside of Orlando called Eustis, and then got elected to the state house. And uh, here I am.
0: (laughs) And how long have you been in politics officially?
1: Uh, four years I was I think like a lot of people uh, very apolitical very non-political very uninvolved uh, I wouldn't call myself uneducated in politics I knew a lot about how it worked I had a lot of friends involved in it but was never compelled to get involved until I actually moved up to New York City for a job and just being in a, a city and environment where there was a lot of uh, I guess just liberal ideas liberal thinking about the how big the role of government should be in our lives actually kind of shook me and woke me up and Made me a politically active amount of regulation and taxes and everything and just the general attitude got me involved, woke me up, and I decided I would move back to Florida and, and run for office.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people find themselves in that position to personal experience or something kind of triggers them to realize, like, I never thought about getting involved in politics, but also I'm not okay with what's going on. So who's going to change it, right? Like, who's going to do anything about it? So sometimes we find ourselves, same for me, I never, you know, planned on being a, a parent advocate and working with activists across the nation as it relates to this type of legislation until... My daughter was injured by vaccines as a baby. And then all of a sudden, her right to an education was being taken away here in California. And I just thought about the ethical consequences of that, just thinking, how is this her fault? She's just, you know, she had side effects to a pharmaceutical product. And now she's going to be denied a right to a public or private education that didn't seem right to me. And when that legislation came out, all of a sudden, I had to get involved. Never been involved in politics before and ended up uh, testifying actually at the assembly for one of our last big hearings there. So you mentioned libertarian. I think a lot of people are not totally clear on the differences between some of the, you know, party affiliations. And I don't even know that a lot of people feel that the Republican Party is even completely satisfying that area of libertarianism. What do you define being a libertarian as? And do you think the Republican Party is aligning pretty well with that or is there some room for growth there
1: well let me start by saying I I consider libertarianism when I say libertarianism I I mean lowercase l like just people who love liberty and Mm -hmm. freedom not so much members of the party of which I've never been a member and I, I don't encourage anyone to to do I think people who love freedom love liberty and ascribe to basically two general principles which are one that what should really cause harm to anybody else. And number two, that people should really be responsible for their own lives. It's much more satisfying. It makes you a better person when you can grow and, and take control of your own life. And people should be left to do that. And when the government plays a big role in their lives, it actually prohibits them from from asserting control and autonomy over their own life. So that's that, very philosophical, but that's basically what it is. And What historically that element was a small part of the Republican Party, but I believe it's growing. I think people who love freedom, love liberty, love the constitutional principles this country's founded on are slowly but surely migrating to the Republican Party and taking it over. So when I talk about Republican politics, a lot of people are very disappointed in the Republican Party. They have a million different opinions, usually the negative. And what I tell them is you have to get involved in one of the two major parties to sort of change its direction. And that's what I've trying to do i've tried to get inside the republican party and and move it in a, a direction that i think is more pro freedom than than it's been in the past that's kind of been my strategy and that's what sort of libertarian means libertarianism means to me
0: yeah and i think most people would agree with you and i think you're right this year probably more than any other year has been this consciousness shift of appreciating the constitution and appreciating personal liberties because they've all been threatened and they've all been taken away. I mean, I for one am a perfect example of somebody who's never truly appreciated the constitution until this year. Like my entire consciousness has shifted. So I think you're right. I think a lot of people are moving towards a position of wanting to protect liberties and uphold the freedoms that were designed to be protected within the constitution. Also, we see a lot of Republicans you know, playing the politics game. I mean, obviously, that's not just true of one side. Both sides are doing it. But I've seen several Republican governors, for example, that are Republican on paper. But they seem to sort of be playing both sides and maybe are almost in there on purpose to sort of get some of the vote but to be pushing forward policies that are actually across the aisle. And so I think that's why some people have gotten a little uncomfortable with even some members of the Republican Party feeling like they're not actually upholding, you know, these tenets that we're used to as the foundation of this party. And I, for one, was a a Democrat my whole life, uh, you know, considered like a liberal my whole life until the issue of medical freedom came up. And then when I realized Republicans' party line were voting against medical mandates, I was forced to reevaluate that party and think about what was most important to my family. And so I think a lot of people are there for medical freedom issues, and then especially for this year, the kinds of policies that are going on, which leads me to my next question. Okay, COVID, the pandemic, the lockdown, shelter in place, mask mandates, all of these policies surrounding the pandemic. I've been researching this for eight or nine months as far as the actual data, and the evidence is not there to back up any of these policies like that's just period nobody can really argue that if you're looking at data what are your thoughts on the policies that we've seen this year relating to the pandemic and do you think that they have been an example of government overreach taking advantage of the public or do you think they were necessary where do you stand on that
1: Absolutely. I agree with you. I think the best way to characterize all of those non medical or public health interventions, let's characterize them that way, are traditionally what I would consider liberal policy. And I mean that in the sense of they're centralized decision makings, usually from government authority, that purport to fix or help everybody that is affected by the decision. And then just like a lot of historic centralized government decision-making is actually created the opposite result from which it said it was going to result. So with curfews, mask mandates, lockdowns, business distinctions between essential and non-essential businesses, travel bans, all these different types of interventions they've had have either done nothing at all or actually made the situation worse. Masks Mm -hmm. are probably the best example. In Florida they did a study just in the last 90 days, they took three counties that ended their mask mandates in uh, early September and three that did not. And as you could po- probably guess, the three counties that did not end the mask mandates actually have a large, much larger growth, larger, faster rate of coronavirus spread in those counties than they do in the counties that did not have mask mandates. And you know, obviously there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is the complete and total misuse of the masks and and mm-hmm. the fact that people think that they're you know some sort of a magic shield. But I bring that up just as a random example. I, all of all of the interventions they, they've got have been these centralized big government interventions that basically robbed individuals of their personal choice, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. a curfew, a mask mandate, opening a business, staying at home, all of this are choices that individuals should be empowered to make. They have the knowledge. They have the information. The information is out there. It's accessible, but the government simply does not trust its own citizens. The citizens that put the government into power, they trust them to make the right decisions for voting, right? They vote in these power-hungry politicians, but they don't trust them to make their own personal health decisions. And it's absolutely wrong. It's wrong-headed. And, you know, 99.9 – actually, I'd say 100% of Democrats – agree with all those interventions. They, they still think we should be locked down. Mm-hmm. And about half of the Republican Party does. Now, the problem is, even though the Republican Party split down the middle, most of the leaders are cowards. And so they've said, well, it's a divisive issue amongst the parties. So right. we'll just go with the, uh, the majority. They're going to play the, it safe. Mm-hmm. That's it. Play it safe by just going along to get along. And I've been one of the few officials in the country, I think, in state houses, state assemblies, state representatives across the country to stand up and fight back, both in my capacity as a lawyer and as a state rep.
0: Well, I think you're right. And what you're saying as far as, you know, the interventions, not helping but making things worse, that's actually true across the world, too. That's not just unique to the United States. We have so many examples of the exact same thing being true everywhere else, and yet they're still continuing to do it. And, you know, back in March when it was two weeks to flatten the curve, everybody was thinking this is a two-week thing. It's going to be over. Just do your part and whatever. And here we are nine, 10 months later. Are you surprised it's gone on this long?
1: Yes, actually, I am. That I, I mean, I, I literally thought worst case scenario, we're looking at months. And I thought that that was intolerable. If we're looking at months, that was intolerable. When they said June or July, I almost laughed. I couldn't believe it. And some people were saying September. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, I... Uh, I watched everything play out and every day I got more pessimistic. And By July, I realized that their goal was basically to permanentize a lot of the interventions uh, that they made. Right. So Mm -hmm. the idea that government has the permanent ability to close or shut a business never, ever even been considered in the history of the United States much or anywhere else. All of a sudden, this is a normalized behavior. They weren't going to let it go. Same with the mask. They didn't ever want anyone to go through a flu season or anything else not wearing masks again Mm -hmm. and curfews and And travel bans, all of it, they've actually sought to make permanent these interventions, which actually increase the power and importance of government people's lives and also strike an enormous amount of fear in the average citizen, Mm -hmm. Republican, Democrat alike. And So they obviously like that because it allows them to assert more control. It's really that I hate to sound cynical, but it's really quite accurate. That's been my findings over studying this over the last nine months. And actually, I think the worst is yet to come, but that's just me.
0: Well, yeah, and I was going to ask that later, but since you're talking about it now, this concept of you know rights being removed, I mean, historically speaking, they don't come back. And once these rights are taken away, is there really a world, do you think, where they're going to be returned? Or is there, I mean, I agree with you. I kind of have become more pessimistic over time also. But is there a chance that all of this stuff is literally going to become what always happens here?
1: Well, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see a massive geographical realignment in this country, where people are tired of having their lives destroyed, their businesses, their personal freedom attacked, and they're going to try to move slowly but surely. They're going to be migrating places where it's not happening. Florida. This is this is a good and a bad thing uh, because what's happening is a lot of people are coming to Florida now. Right now, th- some of those people are freedom-loving people. They want to mm-hmm. be in Florida because we're a free state on most of these issues. We're not perfect.
0: Right. I love
1: the governor, but he's allowed too much power to local governments to, to create issues. I'm, I'm actually literally, as we're speaking, watching a woman jogging by herself with a mask outside. I mean, it's like the definition of insanity, but that's, <laughs> that's literally what has happened with some of these local governments uh, basically trying to find people. But, but I, that's a good and bad thing because, yeah, those people are coming here, but at the same time, you're getting a lot of people who are unconsciously so they'll leave California and go to Texas, but they won't say why, right? So they're just assuming it's uh, more opportunity, but they they won't say, you know, well the reason they're leaving is because it's getting worse and worse, the quality of life's getting worse in these bluer states. Right. And what's happening is because they're unconscious of why they're leaving or what they believe, they're now going to import their broken politics into the new freedom state, mm-hmm. and they're going to end up bringing that state to a really bad spot. And that's why you saw Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas adopt a lot of the coronavirus policies, including lockdowns and mask mandates, because he's basically trying to react to like a typical politician. He's mm-hmm. reacting to the, the populace and where it is today. And so there, there's a lot of bad and good. But to answer your question in the short, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be getting away from those places. And so the the counterpoint to that is what's going to happen to the places where their people are leaving from. Well, I think it's going to get worse. I, I really do believe that in the next 10 years, California, I mean, people talk about recalling Gavin Newsom and all this stuff. I mean, I try to be optimistic about stuff like that, but I don't don't really see it happening. I think what's really going to happen is it's going to get increasingly more centralized, the power, Mm -hmm. the the ability for them to instill more fear. And it's going to get to the point where there is no freedom in some of these states whatsoever, and people are just going to want to completely leave them.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm thinking of moving in the next 12 months myself, and i have born and born and raised here in Southern California. But it is the quality of life really does change. And I'm not even like an avid Republican, you know, myself. It's just the quality of life is different. Not being able to exist. And so much fear. I mean, you talk about the person jogging by themselves. That's everywhere here. Like people mowing their own lawn with a mask on. Like I literally just saw this the other day. Um, I mean, it, it is insane and it's not getting better. And it, you think people would start to feel a little better? It's not. And then we've got all these issues with, you know, potentially false positive testing and all these cases exploding and ICUs are overrun. And, and now all of a sudden that panic comes back again and people are just like reveling in it. And it, and it's taken away all this rational thought and outside of just the politicians making you know, whatever agenda-based decisions and policies outside of just that, the people are not thinking rationally. The people aren't thinking at all, in fact.
1: No, I consider this, a t- there's two things going on here at the same time. And I think people get confused or don't tease them apart. One is, yes, people are being made to act like this. People are respond, you know, acting in this weird way and getting drawn, uh, getting pushed to do really strange, insane, non-scientific things like wearing masks, everywhere they go and shutting their businesses down and all this and uh, all, all this. But the other big thing that's going on is really the discovery of these people. So I don't think coronavirus really came out of nowhere and just made everybody irrational and crazy and, and strange. I think it's it's been the first adverse event that's tested people in their own rationality, mm-hmm. their own self-responsibility. And what we've found is that they failed miserably, right? So because right. these are people that you've known for a long time or you see these people, you Talk to them, and they tell you, "Oh, I'm, I haven't left my house in seven months, or whatever." And you're like, "There's, there's no way." Mm-hmm. A lot of it isn't spawned because of coronavirus. It's, right. it's simply these are people who aren't rational thinking, <laughs> individualistic. Uh, you know, people who could go and find information, verify facts of their own accord, and be skeptics towards what the media narrative is. They just lack that ability. So that's what really scared everybody. I've seen that r- talked about more than anything is just yeah. everyone being so shocked at how average Americans reacted to this thing. I thought they would have never signed up for this, and they did.
0: Right. And, and a lot of people consider this an experiment of sorts to see how far you know they could go, leaders could go. And it's pretty embarrassing how far they've been able to go with almost little pushback. I mean, such very little pushback.
1: There's, I believe a little bit of that. I characterize it more as a test than an experiment. It's We tested the people and they failed. It's not that coronavirus made them like this. It's this is what a culture of constant self satisfaction, non critical thinking, laziness, consumer behavior has made people as. That when this first test occurs, right, this is essentially a, a test, a test of people, because, right, a free loving, rational people would have been like we're not wearing masks we're not closing our businesses we're not where mm-hmm. they'd laugh if you said there was a curfew i mean the whole thing would be completely ridiculous they would know that the median age of death from covid was 79 they would know that only 1.5 percent of the spread occurs in restaurants and bars they would know all the basic facts about it transmission right. everything else. but they failed that they failed the test so some people characterize this experiment i think that grants too much agency to government, but I think there obviously are characters who think that way, but I think it's a test that we failed that now they will be taking advantage of it to the Mm -hmm. fullest extent.
0: Well, and I've heard a lot of talk about lawsuits. So at the very beginning of this, people were just like, no way, you know, there's no way they can do this. They can't force these businesses to be shut down. They can't force you to stay at home, you know, back in March and April everybody's like, just wait for the lawsuits, right? And (laughs) you know more than anybody else, obviously lawsuits take time. And sometimes things might happen down the road, but it's not gonna help us now because of that process. And also there is so much political pressure now as it relates to lawsuits where you can see judges not wanting to be responsible for making certain decisions, even if it's right. So I wanna talk about lawsuits because of your specific background. Okay, so first of all, do you think there's a future for lawsuits against lockdowns, business closures, masks, and and the discrimination of keeping people out of areas and stores with medical exemptions that are not being honored? Do you think there's actually a future for these lawsuits?
1: Yes. Well, you you've tossed out a bunch of different ideas, so let's go through them kind of one at a time. In general, the lawsuits, the 14th Amendment lawsuits that talk about your 14th Amendment due process right, which one of the inclusionary rights, the courts recognize is the right to, for movement, right to, for travel, right to be free moving around. Literally, there's all these court, famous Supreme Court cases talking about just the right to move. That those are strong rights. Some of the judges are could react to the political pressure and and ignore that those rights or say that somehow they could be suspended during a so-called state of emergency. But other judges have already ruled in favor of that in the Western District of Pennsylvania and Michigan. There's been a lot of federal constitutional winds that have struck down lockdowns. But remember, lockdowns are complex things. It's not, you can't leave your house, right? There are some that are so extreme, so insane, that they've literally just said, you can't leave your house. And I think those, those are likely to fall, but the government is just, has uh, endless amounts of our money. So they're willing to fight those court battles endlessly going mm. on and on and on and on. But what lockdowns also are, and this is the more common version of a lockdown, is they shut the businesses down. So it's not that you can't leave your house, but in a lot of these states, what they've done is they said, these non-essential businesses are closed or you can't shop at these kind of places. And what's happened is when you shut down all these private but publicly accessible buildings, that's, that is an indirect lockdown because now, it's, yeah, you can leave your home, but there's nowhere to go, right? You can go walk around and the government owns the park, so they close the park. You have a sidewalk to walk on. Maybe you can drive in your car. The gas station could be closed, It's so they get their effect without directly violating the right. And I'm giving you, but this is how the law works, right? So right. it's this nuanced, silly thing. So that that's one sort of lawsuit that I think will win, but they could still try to, you know, conduct lockdowns in other ways. Unfortunately, right. we just need good judges that are going to say, now that's just a way of getting around your Fourteenth Amendment rights, the movement, travel that they're trying to basically curtail, and so they'll strike those down. That's an open question, but. We'll see what happens.
0: What about business closures?
1: Business, straight up business closures, the standard of which the judge is going to interpret that is going to be just doesn't violate due process, your normal due process rights, Fifth Amendment, 14th Amendment. And what that means is, is the law arbitrary and irrational? So as long as the government can show that somehow the business closures slow or stop the spread of coronavirus, which they can't. The judge should be striking those down as an irrational law, right? It's a mm-hmm. law based on nothing. Because for every every law, the only standard that the most common law, unless you're talking about a specifically constitutionally protected right like the freedom of speech, which is which heightened constitutional scrutiny w- uh, will be applied to it. But the average law just simply has to say, is there a rational basis for this law, and is it is the law passed to affect the legitimate government interest? So. It's easy for them to assert a legitimate government interest. They say, we're trying to stop or slow the, the new cases. But the rational basis is the part they'll fail because there's no way they can show that shutting down Chuck E. Cheese but leaving Walmart open right. has any rational basis. It's completely insane that anybody would even suggest that. So so that's why those will, will fail. But uh, moving on to the medical freedom question of whether you have to wear masks in these businesses, I think that's almost born to fail because what's happened is, the doctors aren't asserting as far as I can tell, and I've done some research on it, that anyone's prohibited based on their disability from wearing masks. Of course, I know that they are. There's a lot. But what's happening is doctors and people in the medical establishment are unwilling to basically fight to try to get the ADA, the Americans Disability Act, right. to extend and to recognize as true disabilities and sort of entangled with the disability, the inability for a person to wear a mask if you follow what I'm saying mm-hmm. I haven't seen them stand up to that and so because the American Disabilities Act isn't yet being understood in such a way to protect people who are, are unable to wear masks those people are not they're literally just not basically allowed to go to any kind of a private business without wearing a mask you know they could be trespassed immediately they can be told they can't go in there and of course if it was a normal disability let's say they were in a wheelchair they had to be reasonably accommodated Now, some businesses have said, well, we'll provide reasonable accommodation for you. You know, you can't come in here without a mask, but we can bring your food outside or we can send you the website. and You can order online, that sort of thing. But uh, obviously, that's not good enough. It's it's still discriminatory, but we just need the medical establishment to stand up. and It's not happening yet.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know in the, in the movement I'm in, I know obviously several parents with uh, children that have neurodevelopmental disorders and uh, severe mm-hmm. special yep. needs. And these children cannot wear masks. In fact, oh, yeah. this whole process has been already so debilitating for them because of this change in routine that is so very necessary, including services and things that they typically get that they haven't been getting for months now. And these children become so very unstable in those circumstances. And a lot of them have sensory processing disorder. And being able to put a mask over their face is not something that they can do. It's something that really disturbs their body on you know mental, emotional, and physical levels. And, you know, to sit there and say, well, the alternative we're offering is, you know, we'll bring it outside. I mean, basically, like you said, it's indirect. But what they're saying is you can't participate in society.
1: That's exactly right. And the psychological and social Mm -hmm. consequences that are going to be extremely harmful, they already are. Suicides, everything else. And, you know, these government officials are just going to look the other way. It's really disturbing. And that's why we have such an important duty to basically make people aware of what's happening right now.
0: So do you think that there's been lawsuits for these types of circumstances? Do you think that they hold water down the line, you know, discrimination lawsuits about what's going on now to prevent that from happening again? Because obviously everything comes down to legal precedents.
1: I don't think so. Unfortunately, I hate to sound pessimistic. I would say no, because what's happened is the country is fallen under the guise of whatever the CDC is considered rational, normal behavior. and The CDC has not made any exceptions for when you shouldn't be wearing a masks. And so courts aren't going to find liability of a business that tells somebody that they can't, you know, that they, 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 they have some right not to wear a mask. It's just not going to happen. And if there's harm because they can't go out or can't go anywhere, that's not going to be direct enough. There's not going to be direct enough of causation from one business or one place, because you got to understand those people are being affected by Everybody, right? right. Everything's shut down. They're, they're being denied from all these grocery stores, all these libraries, all these museums, everywhere they go because they can't wear a mask or whatever it is. But not one individual one is the one that caused the harm. You see, it's a group effect. Sure. And because they don't have that direct causation, you would never be able to find direct liability.
0: But so then, how do we keep this kind of thing from happening again in the future in this type of circumstance?
1: Yeah, there's only one, and this is the hard answer. But there's only one solution, and it's a political change. The only way this ends, the absolute only way. Everybody wants to seek redress in the courts. There's, we've had some wins in the courts in terms of getting some of these laws changed or clarified, or getting local governments to say, well, we'd rather not fight this and getting rid of some of the mandates. But the only way you really win is politically. Unfortunately, we have to actually vote these people out make these real issues, wedge issues, mm-hmm. make Republicans and Democrats losing their primary elections because they believe in these things. And that's it. Or the people themselves need to just get out of those jurisdictions. They have to, because it, it still blows me away where California is right now. Florida has been wide open for months and months and months. The governor's shut down all the individual fines and fees. I had 14 lawsuits against city governments. And I default kind of won them all because the governor waived all the fines and fees against individuals. Now, the, the bigger problem now is local governments ban. They basically punish the business indirectly. So if you walk in without a mask and the business doesn't make you wear a mask, the business gets fined. And sadly, as much as I like our governor, he hasn't stepped in to stop that bad practice yet. But in terms of the individual fines and fees, which I was fighting, we, they're all pretty much done because the local governments cannot give you a finer fee for not locking down, having, you know, not abiding by a curfew or not uh, wearing a mask, period.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your court case that everybody sort of got to know about as it related to the mask mandates. You were involved in one like that that was, that was successful, right, in your area?
1: Well, we had 14. We, I did 14, and court cases take a long time. So initially, we were not successful because the first thing we asked for was a temporary injunction. Temporary injunction is when you basically say, we're going to win at court, so I want the court to go ahead and strike down this mandate now because it violates the Florida Privacy Clause. Our state constitution has a very strongly written textual privacy clause, stronger than the federal constitution. It's an explicit, express right to privacy, and so I sued a lot of local governments saying that making somebody wear a mask everywhere they go outside their home, all these places, all these businesses under the threat of a fine violates their privacy, even though they're in public places. It's too invasive. Your face is an intimate place. We've never regulated someone's face. This is government overage per se. Mm-hmm. And and of course, there's a 2 part argument. One was that it violates the privacy clause. The other one is, that, like we talked about earlier, it violates rational basis due process because just, they don't work, right? right? So it just simply doesn't work. I cited a bunch of evidence. I had an epidemiologist from Brown say, we're looking at all the data. We've looked at the historic data, the contemporary data. Mass don't do anything. Mm-hmm. It's a joke. It's fake. And... The courts were not sympathetic to the data because the standard is so low. They just said, well, even if it could potentially work, we're not going to strike it down. That's for the legislature and the political bodies to figure out. They don't want to get involved in that decision, which I strongly disagree with them. But that's where they ended. The privacy right argument, they were very sympathetic to. We had a lot of testimony on that. There's a lot of writings about it. A lot of them actually ruled against it. But remember, I have 14 lawsuits that they're all still going. Right. We have two that are on appeal. And the appeals are still going. So we're going to get some appellate opinions here from higher courts. But the truth of the matter is right now, they're pretty much all either on pause or over because the, the governor waived all the uh, fines and fees. You can't they can't issue a fine or fee in Florida for face masks. So that's what kind of happened in September. it just kind of everything kind of came to a screeching halt.
0: And do you think you said you think things are going to get worse? You think it's also going to get worse where you are? And in what way do you think it's going to get worse?
1: No, not Florida. Things are going to get better here. I think the governor will finally stop the more nonsensical things the local governments are doing. But we're never going to lock down again here. There's only less people wearing face masks, not more. Things are slowly but surely changing, even for the better here in Florida. I think they're going to get worse in places like where you live, because mm-hmm. I'll tell you exactly why. It's really one very simple fact. They can't back down from the lies that we're told, right? They're stuck now. They're right. stuck in a position where so— for like right now, like Garcetti or whatever in L.A., right, if he says cases are going up, but we're going to go ahead and open up and we're not going to put people in jail for not wearing masks, we're not going to do these things, what they've basically done, right, and I'm just using him as a random example, what, what he would have done is he would have basically stepped away or tossed away the myth, the narrative that they had stuck to for the last nine months. That's going to create a lot of societal outrage, right? Right. Because the true believers, the ones who still think, okay, it's fine if you destroy my life, my business, my freedom, put me in jail, all the rest is, as long as we're all safe, we're all safe, right? Mm -hmm. They believe in the so-called science. They believe in the medical narrative, the CDC narrative. The moment that they back away without the cases going down, which as you know, the cases aren't going to go down. There's n- None of these things are going to stop the caseloads. Mm-hmm. They're going to continue to go up. The moment they back down, then they've abandoned the narrative and people are going to realize that the narrative was never right. Or, you know, worse of all, now they're science deniers, right? So if you're if you're Gavin Newsom and you're like, okay, we're going to open the state back up, but the cases still go up, well, now he's a science denier. He's said it for nine months. If you do this, you're a science denier. So they can't be in that position. They've literally locked themselves right. in like a Pandora's box where, they simply can't get out. It's 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 really sad actually.
0: Well, that's what some of the international epidemiologists were saying uh, initially when lockdown policy started, like in Sweden, their state epidemiologist was saying, there's no exit strategy here.
1: There's no, yeah, it's you're, It's, it's Once you
0: get in, you're stuck in here because as soon as you open things up, cases will go up again. That's just part of the nature of it. And so you eventually bind yourself in, yeah.
1: And they wanna remain ideologically pure because let's be honest, their side of the political spectrum, it's become an ideology. The COVID response, safety, public safety, stay at home, it's all become right. an ideology. You abandon the ideology, you abandon your base. Yep. So they're politically stuck. It's really, it's tragic actually. The best way to describe the way they're thinking actually occurs is the mask. So, and somebody put it on Twitter. It was just a great example I use it all the time. If the cases go down in a certain jurisdiction, they immediately ascribe that positive result, that good result, to the use of masks. They'll say, look, cases are going down. Thankfully, it's because 98% of people are wearing masks. Right. But in the same breath, if the cases go up, I know. What they'll say is, look, we're not wearing masks enough. We need a stronger mask order. So, right. And so, what they've done is they've, they're locked in this prison, this ideological prison that's immune to criticism. Mm-hmm. There's no third way. There's no other options. And not enough people wear masks or look, the masks work. It's, it's really comical.
0: Well, it's the same thing with the flu, right? You hear them say, everybody's going, what, where are all the flu cases? And I'm like, well, because people are wearing masks, the flu cases are really low. And I'm like, well, then how come COVID cases are surging? Because not enough people are wearing masks.
1: It's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, like it doesn't make any sense. I thought enough people were wearing them. That's why we have no flu. Now you're saying not enough are wearing them. That's why we have COVID. Like both arguments can't exist at the same time, but yet that's exactly what they're doing. And there are a lot of people believing it.
1: No, it's it's really shocking. And the cognitive dissonance has never been higher because everyone seems to be really afraid of saying or thinking anything that could be potentially labeled non-scientific, right? Nobody wants to be considered non-scientific. Nobody wants to be seen as an ignoramus, anti-science, ignorant person. There's this bias we have in contemporary society to say, I want to be as pro-science as possible. So when they find ambiguous social, political situations where they try to apply natural science, maybe it doesn't have the the right direct result or effect that they want, they'd rather just err on the side of extremity and say that whatever the person with the white lab coat says has to be true, period, because it's just the, the fear of being labeled. It's, it's Once again, it's just really tragic and sad.
0: But that's the irony, too, because you've got leaders like Gavin Newsom never actually showing you the science, just quoting science, just saying it is science, but never showing you actual science.
1: Exactly. And even worse, not even asserting the basis of the science, but oftentimes websites. I had people in my cases. We did cross examination on a bunch of scientific officials, including the leading epidemiologist in the state of Florida, who's the vice president of the University of South Florida, which is actually ironically Tampa in the middle of the state. And what they would do is they would often just cite the website. They would say, Our evidence is the C D C website says you should wear masks. And I, I remember laughing in the court the Zoom court hearing, I'm like, wait, like judge you Did you miss that? They didn't cite the evidence. So I would say, okay, let's go to the footnote on the website and show the observational study. And what they would always rely upon were these two really silly, innocuous, so-called observational scientific studies. They actually generated a machine that simulated a cough, and they put a mask on the machine, and then they Mm -hmm. counted the amount of respiratory droplets. So they said, look, there's less. And I kept trying to show the lapses and how this is science. I said, listen, they have a machine, respiratory droplets. It's an axiom of science. Nobody here, I'm not here to deny that a mask stops these wet molecules from coming out of the machine's mouth. What I'm trying to demonstrate or examine in this court of law is how this experiment and this mandate to wear masks doesn't result in any way in a net reduction in the slowness or spread of coronavirus period. doesn't stop it, doesn't slow it down.
0: And not just even cases, but the mortality or the seriousness of cases.
1: That's exactly right. And so the example I would tell the judge is, okay, seatbelt laws work, right? There's a rational basis for seatbelt laws. If so I'm hitting 70 and I crash I have a seatbelt. You, know, you can run experiments, empirical data on where it works. But what I'm telling you right now is if there was a law that says you have to be wearing a seatbelt whenever you walk within 15 feet of your car, you have to attach the seatbelt to your body, you know, or... You have to wear a seatbelt in these other situations that don't apply to speeding cars. Mm-hmm. I get the seatbelt works, but in the context it's applied, it does not work. And that's the case with face masks. You can make everyone wear face masks in polite society, walking around restaurants, bars, all this stuff. But because the spread does occur within the home and intimate workplaces, it, there's no rational basis for the law. And the judges a lot of times just wanted to evade the political confrontation all right. and get away from it. I mean, the, it wasn't lost on them that I'm a state representative suing <laughs> mayors and cities around the county. It's a very awkward position for the judge to be in.
0: (laughs) Right, and well, also so much of this mask data is based on people who are sick. Of course, if you are infectious and you are sick, then wearing a mask will make it less likely that you, but if you are healthy and not sick, Like everybody's forgetting that you're taking data about sick people and you're trying to apply it to the entire rest of the healthy population. There is no data that shows a healthy person is going to stop the infection to somebody else because obviously if you're healthy, there's no way to have an infection to somebody else.
1: Well, actually, you know, to put it more specifically, it's whether you're symptomatic or not because the truth is we just did a study at the University of Florida, the flagship university, my alma mater in Gainesville, Where it was shown that at 300 people, the ones who were sick but asymptomatic, that the spread of coronavirus from those affected individuals was impossible to differentiate from zero, which was the scientific way of saying, Mm -hmm. like, it could possibly be higher than zero, but there's no way for you to ascertain that it was higher than zero. And that's what happened.
0: Well, yeah, and all data has said the same thing because of the viral load. Like, being symptomatic increases your viral load. So the higher the viral load, the more likely you can actually create another infection in somebody else. The whole idea of asymptomatic transmission is BS. Like it's this theory.
1: It's false from day one. Yeah,
0: that is the foundation of every single policy we've created since June. And it has to do with the school closures, mask mandates, continued shelter in place, or the re-upping of the shelter in place orders like here in California. And there is zero international data to ever show that there's an asymptomatic person creating a secondary infection. But yet, Again, where's the science? So Gavin Newsom just says, we believe in science, and so therefore, X, Y, and Z. But there really is no science backing it up, and the public is not really taking the time to say, but where is the science? I want to read the science. Let me put that in context of the other science I've read and see what makes the most sense. It's just amazing how that hasn't happened. And that leads me to my last question for you, because I know you've got stuff to do, and it's Christmas Eve, uh, though this won't air today, so everybody knows it's Christmas Eve. So the last question I have for you is being more outspoken, like you said you're one of the few that've been more outspoken, what kind of pushback, if any, have you gotten? And I want you to answer in two different ways, just from the public or from strangers contacting you on social media or whatever, and also personally in your own personal circles. Have you had friends and family that, you know, want to tell you, hey, I think you're wrong on this one and you're being irresponsible. What kind of pushback have you received?
1: It's been interesting. I once again, I always believe that people want leadership and courage out of their public officials they want people who are going to stick up for the opinion whether it's seen as popular or not not whether it's popular or not but whether it's viewed as popular or not i actually do believe that our position the anti-lockdown position the position of trusting individuals personal responsibility the position that people are best to make their own decisions and that the best result for society usually occurs when all the individuals collectively make their own personal decision based on their own tolerance and risk, that position is the popular winning position. And so the media has come after me. I did a live interview on CNN and a lot of other sort of liberal mediums in which I've been criticized and attacked. And the Democrats have attacked me, some of what are called rhinos, the Republicans the name only, the really soft, fake Republicans like the Republican Massachusetts government, people like that have attacked me, but that actually just is very predictable and doesn't really have any effect on me whatsoever, because I expect it. these are the cowards that they always look to polls. They always look to Mm -hmm. the media narrative to know where they need to stand politically. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. I literally just I look to see what the right situation is and then don't really take any calculation or care about what the political consequences or risk are. Everybody said I was too edgy when I sued all these counties and fought. We did these rallies with 200 people. In these rallies in front of courthouses, no masks, obviously signs, huge rallies in front of all these courthouses throughout the state from Key West to the top of the state, Jacksonville, and Tallahassee, and got an enormous positive response. I mean, obviously, my social media profile blew up and you're all the way on the West Coast and you heard of me. So there was a really positive response. But the media attacks were pretty severe and they tried to attack me. But the people knew who they were voting for. I was on the ballot in November and won by 12 percent, which was exactly what I won by two years ago. So Mm. (laughs) obviously, I think people were either completely fine with what I was doing or loved it. And the the few who don't, hopefully I woke them up. At the end of the day, my goal isn't to be as politically possible as I can. It's to wake people up and get them thinking about these issues, even if they disagree with me. The fact that I got them to actually examine the lack of science and the actual existing science disproving that the interventions work was a huge political win.
0: And then, what about in your personal circles?
1: Oh my! Well, I hang out with a lot of conservative Republicans and libertarians, so obviously, I'm like a hero to my friends and family who think that I uh, demonstrate courage. I guess is what they say. they enjoy it. My wife is even more, she's even more anti-mask and uh, anti-lockdown than I am. So
0: She sounds like a smart woman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they all love that. No, that's good. <laughs> yeah, because my thing is, obviously, in certain businesses, they'll make you wear a mask. But if the business is good and they're in a jurisdiction where they're going to be punished, if they don't make people wear masks, then I'll, I'll go along with it simply because I don't want to see this business fail.
0: Right, and I understand that theory, yeah, a lot of people say the same thing, but i I'm like her, I would just I wouldn't go give business to that business because of yeah,
1: yeah, well, I, I will say I draw the line at the jurisdiction, so I live in a county where there's no mask mandate, if I found out somebody in my county, which there actually is not i live in a county of almost four hundred thousand people there I think there's one business in the county that makes people wear masks, period mm-hmm. I would never give them a dollar by money, but if they're in a jurisdiction where they have to based on local ordinances. I don't feel the need to punish those people because they make them. I would still try to go somewhere else. Right. My goal is to go out of my way and basically send the message. But if it's life or death for that business and it's truly a good business, then that becomes a very difficult situation.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And it gets complicated. Well, I'm glad you guys are doing a lot better than we are here. And it definitely does make people... Open their eyes to understanding the importance of local government and state government and the parties that are running that. Because despite who the president is, obviously it doesn't really matter if your own governor or your own local government is going to be really restrictive during this kind of time. And so the key is being able to find yourself in a position where you are ruled, so to speak, by leaders who appreciate and support personal freedoms and aim to only get involved when it's absolutely necessary and limit that as much as possible so you can live your lives. I've never appreciated that literally as much as I have this year. So I think you're right about the relocating for that reason for many people. Hopefully, you know, this doesn't get worse as a nation, and it only does stay in those areas with the blue leadership. Because there needs to be a safe place for the rest of us to be and be able to raise our children where they are not forced to be witness to everything that is going on because no doubt the altering that's going to happen over this next decade and two decades as a result of just this year is going to be devastating and our children are the ones that suffer the most so. I appreciate the fact that you continue to, to be a louder voice on this. I always appreciate those who are willing to go against the grain, especially when you have the evidence to back it up and to promote critical thinking, which is exactly who my audience is. So if they didn't know about you before, I'm glad they do now. And hopefully I will be able to see you at the January podcast tour event with Dr. Bob Sears and I. And again, I appreciate your time today. And thank you so much for letting people know where can they contact you or follow you so they can get more information.
1: I'm mostly on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and it's all the same name or handle. It's Anthony Sabatini, S A B A T I N I. And I'm also on Parlor too for when eventually we all get kicked off <laughs> the <laughs> liberal forums. So, and I use them all.
0: Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, thank you again and have a wonderful holiday with your family. I appreciate your time and take care.
1: Thanks, Melissa. Merry Christmas. Take care. Bye.
0: Well, that was State Representative Anthony Sabatini from Florida. I encourage you guys to check out his social media, find out a little more about him. Isn't it so nice to see people in politics who are willing to ask the tough questions? And this really isn't about party. It's really not about party. In fact, you know, gosh, for the longest, I couldn't imagine myself agreeing with a Republican on anything. But this year with COVID, I mean, you just can't deny that conservatives, Republican leaders have definitely been more rational in their thinking as it relates to policies, mitigation responses, and just how they're viewing the entire thing. In this case, the Democratic Party and the liberal leaders are the ones that really are inciting so much fear, fear, and more fear. So you can't really make this a political issue we're talking about rational thinking versus irrational thinking and it's so nice to hear somebody involved in politics talking about science talking about personal responsibility and accountability and how it's important that the government is not getting too big and monitoring and intervening in everybody's lives it really is important to have that space and to have the ability to make your own decisions be able to go where you want to go do the things that you want to do i mean everybody that thinks this is temporary we don't know that for certain. And if you give away too much power now, we have no idea what is going to come after that. So anyway, this might be airing uh, just nearing to 2021 or just after 2021 has happened. Let's hope we have a better year ahead than this year has been. And as always, thank you guys for listening and I will catch you next time on What They Aren't Telling You.